You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Well, that was uh, very interesting. It felt a little fight clubbish in here there for a minute. Um, but I definitely want to welcome everyone tonight. Um, I'm really grateful to be able to have a chance uh, to be able to share with you today and to kind of build upon the series that we've been doing with Radical Faith uh, by Randy McKean. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about Secrets 3 and 4, which as you see on the one behind me is uh, a God-centered faith. And then Secret 4, which we'll get to in a few minutes, is a result-oriented faith. And uh, it's really, uh, this book has been a good challenge for me the last several days. Some of it's really challenged my own faith and my own beliefs and my own, and I really had to dig into scripture to really uh, glean and talk to some people and really get a lot of great um, insight and help from people. Just being able to learn from their example, their heart, and who they are. Um, so it doesn't bother you, some of you tonight, that may be noticing on the screen right now that is not a typo in God. Um, that's actually, uh, most of the other slides won't do it this way. Uh, but that is just a tradition um, that is done in certain communities, the Jewish community, which I happen to come from. Uh, the reason for the dash uh, is merely a tradition. Uh, you don't write out the name of God's name because God's name is eternal. And then therefore, it's a visible reminder. You don't write it on anything that could be erased or destroyed or to go away. So that's all that is. Um, I didn't even realize I did it on there. It's so second nature. Um, but just so that way, I didn't distract you. Going, Why did he put a dash? Um, but what we want to do to get started tonight, to kind of help us ground and to kind of uh, just feel um, comfortable, uh, to kind of start getting our, our hearts and our minds and our own stories in our head as we talk about this. We thought it'd be great to have uh, someone just come up and share about how a God-centered faith has impacted their life. And so uh, for your listening pleasure, uh, we have the wonderful sister and woman of God from the West Side Ministry, Miss Tiffany Young. Hi, everybody. Good evening. I'm Tiffany Young, as Dink said. And um, for one, I just want to say, you know, I pray that everybody is doing well in their faith tonight. And, um, you know, honestly, if you're not, I really do want to just encourage everyone to talk to somebody if you're not doing well in your faith. So I just wanted to kind of encourage you guys with that. But um, I was asked to talk about a God-like faith and... What it pretty much means to me, or what I thought about, what came to mind was having God's perspective in challenging situations, um, learning to fight through disappointment and not allowing my circumstances or the things that I see or I don't see to dictate my faith and my confidence in God. Um, several years back, a, a very close family member was diagnosed with, a, with brain damage and mental health issues. Um, I pretty much watched this person transform into a totally different person. It was very, very difficult for me. Actually, it was extremely difficult to the point where it just caused a lot of sadness and grief in my heart. And at this point, this was probably one of the most challenging things I had went through as a Christian. I think at that point I was a Christian probably for like eight years, and I feel like things were just, they went well. You know, like I was growing in my faith. I had a lot of great relationships, um, and nothing like... Nothing happened. I mean, I had my day-to-day struggles, but nothing really happened that challenged my faith and caused me to question God and who he was. And so as I watched this person go through and struggle, um, 
you know, through this, through this illness and even having just brain damage, um, it really did rock my faith. And it caused me to see God in a different way, and it, caused, it changed my perspective on even how I felt about life. Um, and initially, I, you know, I spent a lot of time just praying and, you know, fasting and um, that this person would get better and heal, and they didn't. And in fact, you know, things just kind of progressively got, got worse, and I really didn't see the changes that I had hoped for um, for this person. And so what it did for me is I actually just began to, like, cycle emotionally, and it caused me just to question a lot of who God was. And, and some of the questions that I had were, were um, you know, why does this person have to suffer? Uh, why did God even allow this illness to exist? And I felt like it was just, you know, super unfair. Um, why do other people have to suffer? Um, and then from that, it transpired into, well, why was I created? Um, you know, I didn't ask to be born. I don't, <laughs> I didn't ask to live through all of this. Like, this is your plan that I didn't really ask to be a part of. Um, and then I started to feel like, honestly, like, I don't necessarily know if I want to continue to live life. And um, then I started to feel like, I don't know if I'm going to make it life. Um, and so I actually went into a depression. Depression. And uh, it just kind of started another down spiral. And it actually just led to other issues. And, and um, it caused me to end up dating a non-Christian man, which is a really bad call. And I encourage anybody who's to stop <laughs> and to think twice. <laughs> um, but at the time, you know, it seemed like a good idea because it provided the comfort that I just couldn't find in God. Um, and then... You know, from there, I eventually it led me to disconnecting from God completely. I, you know, this led to other things, but I pretty much disconnected from God, and I stopped going to church. Um, page. And so, you know, from that, I mean, it just it was a series of events that just happened, and honestly, my life. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm here now, so I'm back. <laughs> so. Um, but one of the things that I felt like really helped me to find a God-centered faith or a God-like faith was really turning to And I think during that time, I was focused so much on my circumstances and the things that were happening that I really didn't focus on what is God calling me to? What does the Bible say? I know this doesn't feel good, but how do I get through this? And um, so I decided to really commit myself to following the Bible again, but really believing what the Bible says. Like, okay, even though I don't agree with this, even though it doesn't feel good, I'm going to commit. And um, one of the scriptures that came up, which honestly I don't like, but <laughs> um, it it's one that really humbles me in my faith and challenges me to obey, obey God. Um, you guys don't have to turn there because I'm pressed for time, but Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, my thoughts. Um, and then, uh, well, I, could, I was just going to share, like, in the person, sorry, I struggled with this scripture and really just trusting in that even though things are not logical, even though it doesn't make sense, it doesn't mean that I shouldn't follow God. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I should still figure things out independently of God. He still has the best plan. And, uh, you know, the person I was talking about earlier is still battling with mental health issues. And 
you know, it really is like a thorn in my side that I feel like I wrestle with every day. And it still causes me to question God and, um, you know, when I don't have all the answers. But I feel like my perspective in fighting through it this time is different. And I do feel like, you know, I'm able to hold on to God because my, my faith is more um, And another scripture I came across recently, it's in First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. It says, In all this you greatly rejoice. So now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so... My prayer for all of you guys is that there's a, it was a statement or a book that said um, that your faith would dominate your sight. And so that's my prayer for all of you guys. Amen. Thank you, Tiffany. That was awesome. You know, having a godlike or a God-centered faith can be a challenge to be able to have that. Um, the book talks about we all have faith. We have faith in something, but what is it? The faith in my ability, faith in my career, faith in LeBron James. What, what is our faith in? You know? Um, but we have to really get back. So we're going to put our faith somewhere. But where are you going to put it? When you're hit with time of tragedy, you're hit with a difficult time. Where, what are you going to do? When you get challenged and it gets knocked down and it gets weakened or it gets attacked, how do you fight and get it back? So I really appreciate Tiffany's heart to um, share and to really be vulnerable and help us kind of set up the guideline, kind of set up the discussion that we're going to have today. Thank you. So the book talks about, here's an excerpt that Randy talks about that I thought really helped set the discussion up for us. And it says, we must understand that worldly concepts of believe in yourself, think positive, think big, I can do it, and I feel great, are all worthless when it comes to our relationship with God. They serve only to pollute and erode true faith in God. Their focus is on self and not on God. It is a self-serving and self-seeking type of religion in which Christianity is lowered to a self-improvement plan and becomes just another aspect of our own selfishness. This really rang true with me. It can be very easy to get caught up in, and it's not to say there aren't a lot of amazing things out there to help us in our life or to help us go through life or to help us challenge, but sometimes we can get so focused on ourselves and improving ourselves, and especially if you've been a disciple 5, 6, 7, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, you go, man... I studied the Bible four nights a week with people when I was a young disciple. I would go anywhere, do anything. I was willing to do a one suitcase challenge. Now it's my time. Now I need to invest in my life. I'm still not married. I still don't have the career I want. My faith starts to erode. I start to focus on myself. And I start to forget the purpose for which I was created. I forget to have faith in the living God who can reward and take care of those who are willing to do his work. Not in a results-based thing. Not in a... Hey, if you do this, then he'll do that. It's not an if-then clause. But we do really want to challenge our heart. And we really do want to see what God has for us. 
Are we willing to believe without seeing? Tiffany showed it was very difficult. She wasn't seeing the results she wanted. She wasn't seeing, she wasn't seeing God move the way she thought he should. And Hebrews 11, 1 helps us with this. It's saying faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we, we do not see. We've heard that scripture a thousand times. We almost can become numb to that scripture. We can forget the impact that scripture should have on our lives. That was written to Jews that were slaves in Rome. They did not see freedom. They did not see hope. They did not see their homeland. They did not know what was going to come of their lives. They didn't know if they were going to be taxed to death, killed, the religion banned. They had no idea what they were facing. And we can sit here today and have all kinds of challenges around us. We're being attacked. Bills going through Congress or California and all these crazy things and pushing agendas and everyone has an agenda and everyone takes a side and we can even start to get divided and distracted in this room because we focus on what we see and not what we do not see. What we don't see is the living God. It could be easy to go, well, man, Trump be tripping. Hillary Clinton be tripping even more. You know, we can go back and forth and divide ourselves black, white, by any type of orientation, whatever, we can get so caught up into the, tr- to the things of this world that we can forget that our faith is really what sustains us and drives us. It isn't winning an argument on Facebook. It's not meme Christianity. It isn't quoting some preacher that you like and just kind of, ooh, gotcha, that's a good one. You know, it's not, oh, well, they treated me roots and now I'm going to be just as, I'm going to be just as, you know, nasty back. We gotta get back and remember that we gotta get back to our hope. This scripture really drives me because everything I believe is surrounded, everything in the Bible to me is built upon 1 Corinthians 13, 13. These three things remain faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. If you lose faith, a lot of times it's because your hope is gone. And once your hope is gone, you can no longer see the love. These things all work and it starts to erode. So if your faith starts to go away, if you don't protect and guard and cherish your faith, It's only a matter of time before Satan can take you out. We really have to get back and remember who he is that created us. We have to get back and remember that our faith needs to be centered on God. It's not on, we can, we can trick ourselves. It's very easy within the church. I work in the entertainment industry. It could be very easy to go, well, you know what? If I, if I work my way up and I keep my mouth shut, I can get a better job and then I'll get a better job and then I'll have more influence and then I'm going to make movies and then I'm going to convert all the famous people and then I'm going to do all this stuff. That's about me. Where was God in any of that? We convince ourselves that's God. We can get very caught up in it. And I can even think that way. And for me this weekend at at Catalyst, actually, I got a text letting me know that my boss had passed away. At his 50th birthday on April 10th. At his first year wedding anniversary on April 15th. And on his way back on a plane from a vacation in South America, had a massive coronary and died. On April 20th. It's intense. My ability to influence and have faith and hope for his life, that part's done. It's now between he and God. My ability to have faith and hope for him and to have be focused on the things of God because I want to make sure my career gets to a safe place before I open my mouth, I no longer have a chance to influence him. That's done. And I can see that even contrasting it with today. Uh, the person we prayed for earlier, Shawnee Smith, actually works uh, for me at, um, we work at Amazon Studios. And when words spread this morning of the, the death of her mother, to see the impact that she has had there, and she doesn't even know this yet, but she will. 
People by the hundreds were coming out of that studio wanting to know where she was, how can they send her flowers, how can they take care of her, because they could not stop talking about the hope she exudes and the heart that she exudes day in, day out. And she's, she's a receptionist, but she's the face of the studio at Culver Studios. She has all this other things she does out of there, but doesn't care. She doesn't worry about her position, doesn't worry about her hope deferred. She doesn't worry about any of that at work. And she has a great example that I need to learn from. So where do you put your faith? What do you do with it? Here, Abraham had to challenge himself. And let's see where he put his faith. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Abraham was confident God would provide a sacrifice. The scriptures seem to indicate that he actually, he was willing to do what God wanted, but he never actually believed God would want him to do that because he put his hope and faith in God. That God would provide a solution, that he wouldn't have to go through it. That somehow God would save his son. That somehow God would reward his faith. And so he set his mind on God, not on, God is tripping, you were asking too much this time. Study on Tuesday night, you know what time I got to get back to work on Wednesday? He didn't ask that. He just went. Oh, you're, you're struggling and you need to have coffee with me? Hey, how's Saturday? How's, wait, you know what? How about in two weeks? Do we still have that faith to love each other? We may not always fully even understand the answer. Isaac, the ram, the lamb gets provided for him. His son is saved. And far as Abraham's concerned, thank you. That is, um, far as Abraham is concerned, that was the solution. That's what his faith, that's as far as his faith took him. But then he starts to realize maybe there's a little more. So this hill where he was going to sacrifice his son says here in Genesis 22, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Do you notice the tense here? It wasn't that he did provide. He will and he shall. Abraham realized there was more to come. That God was going to do even more. And it continues. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed me. I'll tell you something, the first picture we had. That's what is called the shofar. The ram's horn. It's what's blown traditionally in a lot of things. When you read in the New Testament about the great trump will resound or the trumpet blast, this is what they're talking about. It's, a, it's associated with the second coming. The reason for a ram horn or a short horn is to remember what God did with Isaac. So they blow this and they do it consistently and consistently and consistently. We see a lot of fighting in the Middle East. You know why they fight. They fight because the hill, that little one square mile in Jerusalem, is where Abraham was to kill Isaac. Where God revealed himself. It's also where our Messiah was sent, his offspring was sent and was killed on the same hill that Abraham killed Isaac. God sent his own son centuries later to be able to pay that same sacrifice on those same series of hills. It's just amazing to see how God's plan is, is timeless. And if we can just center on God, because God's plan and his faith to us is so much more. Abraham was worried about his son. 
God was worried about all of us. And he started it, and he started to demonstrate his faith in us there. We need to have that same kind of faith. But if we're going to do that, sometimes it does help to see the results. Tiffany didn't get to see all the results she wanted. It was a challenge. It challenged her faith. It challenged her life. We've got to realize we can do a lot. We've got to understand what a result-oriented faith looks like. It's not about, I'm not talking about the prayer of Jabez. I'm not talking about, hey, if you do this, I'm going to get you rich. I'm going to show you how to get rich right now. No, we're not going there. We're not going there. We're not talking about that kind of result-oriented faith. If you give me a love gift of $20, I'll, you know, no, we're not going there right now. We're talking about a genuine result-oriented faith. This is Mount Herodium, which will come up again in a few minutes. It's going to tie to a scripture that we all know very well and had no idea what it was referencing. Chapter 4 talks about the idea of can you move a mountain? That Jesus says, if you have faith, we can do it. He says, he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. We realize how small a mustard seed is and what that tree looks like. It's a tree. It's like the size of a sesame seed that becomes a strong, huge tree. It's amazing. But here he says that if we have faith, nothing is impossible. Absolutely nothing. Do you believe that your faith will be rewarded? Do you believe that nothing is impossible? Do you really believe it? Randy talks about in chapter 4, he has a quote here that says, Then he went on to teach that nothing will be impossible for those who believe. There will be results. This sounds great, but do we really believe it ourselves and do we really understand what is being said? What is being said is, I don't care if you've been a disciple for one day or 30 years, you still can find a spouse. I don't care if you've been a disciple for one minute or 40 years, you can still find the career that you believe in. You can find joy, peace, love, happiness. All these things that we want, but sometimes we get jaded and afraid to keep believing in. We get numb. We lose sight. Our faith gets attacked. And we no longer believe that the results will come. We no longer believe genuinely. We, we believe intellectually. But do we really believe in our heart that he will bless those that are faithful to him? That he really has what You're his son. You're, you're his daughter. Do you really believe that that faith can be taken care of and fostered and taken and, and risen up. Catalyst, for those of you guys that are there, I thought it was one of the most amazing environments I've seen in a long time. The maturity of the singles, the warmth, the love, just the generosity. It was amazing. Jason and Turnwall and Jamie Rain and, and Angela Williams and all those that helped plan that, Akimba Henderson, did a fantastic job. The planning committee of Emma and I know a bunch of others, maybe some others in here that are on that committee as well did a fantastic job of making sure our hearts were taken care of. And my faith was inspired. I absolutely believe this. And I have no reason to. I'm divorced, overweight, potential unfulfilled, been a derelict at times. You can ask some other people, some of the friends that have known me a long time, they tell you some stories. But I am more hopeful and believe in God and His ability to bless those who love Him more now than I ever have. And it's because of the scripture. It's not because of anything I've done. Thank you for that. And I want to tell you, this whole scripture about moving a mountain, we think, well, that's a neat thing, but that really can't be done. That's impossible. Who could move a mountain? Mount Herodium on the outskirts of Jerusalem, near Bethlehem. King Herod, 
wanted to build a, uh, wanted to build a man, his uh, fortress, which is on top of that, that flat part of the mountain now. Uh, a mountain in Israel is more like a foothill in Hollywood Hills for height, if you need some perspective. They're not very tall, uh, most of them. But this mountain was where Mount, uh, King Herod had a, uh, a near-death experience when he was a child. And so he wanted to build a, one of his palaces there. But to do it, he needed it to be taller. There was another mountain right next to it that was taller. That's unacceptable. The Temple Mount, where God's Spirit dwells, that's taller. That's unacceptable. All of Jerusalem and everyone else needs to see, my mountain needs to be the tallest. So he took all the slaves of Israel, all the slaves, and they moved half of the mountain next door to that mountain. And Jesus, when he said this scripture that we read, was probably about 10 miles from it when he said it. They knew this. You, if we work together, if we have faith as a church and a family, we can move a mountain. You gotta get willing to get dirty, you gotta get down in the mud, and you gotta be willing to do what's gonna take. We gotta be willing to hope and believe, and it can be backbreaking, it can hurt, it can be frustrating, it can be sad, it can be terrifying. We can go down some dark paths, we can struggle with sin, we can have all these different things that are gonna hit us along the way. But if we don't lose track of that faith, we can absolutely rise and see the results be paid off. And in the end, we know we have heaven. The results are coming no matter what. We game in the system. This is we got a free play right here. Job, probably one of the greatest people, has a great demonstration of faith when he had his children died on him. And part of the story of Job, his children are killed and die. What more than to lose a child? And there are three things that I think in Job one eighteen through twenty two that we can take that were that demonstrated Job's faith that then saw results and was oriented, but that helped him find the results of the outcome of the book of Job. And the first one, he believed in God's sovereignty. He never sat there and questioned God when his children died. He never sat there and said when he didn't get what he wanted, one of the most horrible things that could happen to him, he never questioned, like, God, why are you in charge? If this is what you're going to do, why should I follow you? He never did that. I wish I could say I've never done it, but I can't. I cannot say that. I've absolutely struggled with this. I've absolutely at times wanted to go, you know what, God? I'm more talented than them. Why are they the executive and I'm the office manager? Why, why do they have a, a five-picture deal and I'm, you know, making sure they got coffee? I've been around for 20 years. That person's been around six months. Why are they getting married? Man, don't you know they've only been in campus? They were never even in singles. You know you all thought this. We're going to talk real here. In honor of the late, great Bernie Mac, we're going to keep it real. But we got to talk about things. we got to recognize and realize in our own heart. Do we question God's sovereignty when it comes to our faith? Secondly, he did not blame God for the death of his children. How often have we sat there and gone and blamed God? How could you let this happen? I went through a divorce and I remember very vividly thinking, I dated the right way. She was my co-leader. We did all the things. I did all the right things. I didn't really, but that's what I told myself. And I got to that point and said, but God, how could this happen? How did you let this happen? I thought if I did it the right way, it all just magically appears great. You know, it's going to, you know, I'm one who believes in the fairy tale. And I got so caught up in the fairy tale, I forgot about faith, and I decided to blame God when my fairy tale didn't happen. 
the way I thought it should happen, the way I decided it should happen. He didn't do that. And lastly, he said he found comfort in the, what helped him get through the tragedy of the loss of his children was he found comfort in the goodness, power, and purpose of God. Do we go back and recognize God is good? Do we recognize his power? Do we recognize his purpose for your life and mine? You gotta remember the spirit of the living God that lives inside of you is the same one that parted the Red Sea, that tore down the walls of Jericho, that raised the Messiah from the dead, that brought you to life, that did so much, and you have that spirit inside of you. So who are we not to have faith of great things that can happen and come? Who are we to not remember that we serve the living God? That we serve the Most High. We have an opportunity. We have a God who is good, powerful, and has great purpose for us. Y'all don't want me in charge. Be glad I'm not God. Be glad. God, it'd be horrible. We'd get to eat nachos for every meal. (laughs) So maybe some good. But but it's not all. But it would be horrific because it would be centered on me. It would be about what I want. It'd be like, I now decree it. Every sister in the church has to like me. You know, it's like... (laughs) Some of you are going, no. Check, please. Um, But no. But it could be easy for us to twist our faith. It could be easy for us to lose focus. It could be easy for us to forget who we are. And now we need, and lastly and finally, we need to remember what motivates us and what should drive our faith and how the biggest way our faith is rewarded. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and protector of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus chose, it's one of the things I've had to connect with in my own faith. I used to have a lot of faith. I used to think that, well, you know what? I killed God. I sensed myself to death. I don't have the power to kill the living God. The living God chose to die for me despite my iniquities. I, cho- I sentenced myself to death. I deserve death. But I should have faith and hope and excitement because he sits there. And why? It was his joy that was set before him. How was the cross his joy? Because it's really tr- put before. What was his joy was being the founder and perfecter of our faith. Protecting who we are. Protecting our hope. Protecting by showing us love. Do you have that faith? Are you willing to ante up one more time? Are you willing to get back up one more time? When quote, was it Rocky that said, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not how many times you get knocked up, you're knocked down, if you get knocked down six times, you get up one, or whatever it is, I'm butchering it right now. Um, but that quote that you all know, no. But are we gonna get up one more time than we get knocked down? Are we? I mean, it's serious. And the greatest and most powerful quote I can give you to remember when your faith gets challenged, when we got to look at ourselves, is actually from the great and wise sultan himself, Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until they get hit in the face. When life and Satan hits you in the face, are you going to get up? Are you going to trust God? Are we going to turn to him and love him? Are we going to take the joy, hope, faith, happiness, wealth that comes from this? Because all good things come from him. Why would I run from them and not want them? Tiffany had to fight her way back. Tiffany had to fight for everything that she wanted to remember that faith. And you see her come alive. And, and I talk to anyone on the West Side who sees her in the sees her around and sees the joy that comes from her, sees the hope that comes from her. Now she still didn't have her problems. 
But she sits there and she and she goes after what and she she exudes a found faith. And it might and some days it might be the size of a mustard seed, but that's all it takes. Because it's not your work that's going to bless it. It's not your work that's going to water it and reward it. It's God. Jesus. So I just want to encourage you as we close out tonight to remember that God is here for you. God loves you. Set your faith based on him, not based on the things that you want. Set your faith and your mind and your heart and your soul on above. Set it on the cross. Let the cross be your joy. And believe that you can find that spouse, that the, the new home, the great vacation, whatever it is, those things that, that are the, 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 the secondary tertiary benefits to the cross that are way down the road of salvation. Let us remember that. And let us remember and always be grateful that because we've been given salvation, our faith has already been rewarded before we ever had faith, before we ever even knew what faith was. Let's close out in a word of prayer. God, I just want to thank you tonight for allowing us to come before you and just allow us to come as one voice, one body, one hope, one generation to honor those that you sent before us for us getting to be the light and the fulfillment of their faith and their hope. May we be able to set that same example for you. May we, the singles of the coastal LA, be able to have an impact beyond our means. City of LA, the county of LA, Southern California is over 59% single now. It's a lost and hurting world, Lord, and there's so much impact that we can have. God, I pray that you help us to seek your face, to seek your arms, to seek your love, to be able to have that hope and belief that if we believe in you and believe in the things that you have for us and pray faithfully that you're going to bless that no matter what it is, no matter what that hope, no matter how small, no matter how great. I pray that again you were with the families that are hurting right now as they have suffered loss. I pray that you comfort them and that we can do our part to love and comfort them as well. I pray that your name be praised on the lips of all our mouths throughout the rest of the days of our life as we get to celebrate multiple weddings coming up, as we get to celebrate promotions and births and baptisms and everything that is to come over the rest of this year, Lord. We are so grateful and honored to be able to have the ear of the living God and so grateful for your blessing and your faith in us, Lord. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.